Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. These small practices in the future when you're actually going through that rough time, it's those small things that uplift you, that create that sense of even if it's slight happiness because actually it sets the tone for the day. Hi guys and welcome back to A Millennial Mind. Today I'm really excited to speak to my first guest of this podcast. She's a writer and a healthy cook with a passion for health and well-being. She's the author of two amazing books, her first being Saffron Soul, which is a collection of modern and traditional vegetarian recipes rooted in her Gujarati heritage. Her second, Prajna, talks a lot about Ayurvedic rituals for happiness. She's also the owner of the cafe Chai by Mira in Soho, so without further ado, I'm super excited to announce and introduce my first guest, Mira Manik. Thank you for having me, Shivani. Thank you for being here. Well, actually, thank you for having me here because we're recording <laughs> in your home. So thanks so much. Welcome. <laughs> so I literally ordered your book and read it in about a day and a half. Oh, really? Yeah, I absolutely Lord. loved it. I felt like I learned so much from a spiritual perspective, a food perspective, a mindfulness perspective I just thought it was so great because I don't really know much about Ayurveda and so I love the way you incorporated it all back to like our culture and also other people's cultures as well so mm. it wasn't very limiting at all so what inspired you to write it so my first book was obviously a cookbook but actually when the idea of Prajna was sewn a year after I wrote my first book, it brought together different elements of my life and not just food. And food is a very, very strong part of my journey because actually yoga is where it all began, where I started, when I started doing yoga while I was living abroad, Yeah, I suddenly realized that my journey in health and well-being and um, trying to be healthy and my, my sort of frantic nature of, oh my God, I need to be really, really healthy. But actually I wasn't being healthy at all. And my idea of health was almost dictated by thinness or trying to Absolutely. lose weight. For sure. So it's very warped. And it suddenly dawned on me while I was abroad that I was doing all the wrong things and that I needed to actually engage with my heritage and actually where I grew up eating, which I'd sort of lost in a sense by listening to media, by understanding or really just being completely enthralled by um, 
media the media telling me that actually you need to have low fat and high sugar yeah. and all that stuff and I sort of got addicted to having sugar and high high sugar foods not realizing that I was doing the wrong things and so well realizing it but actually kidding myself so I actually developed a lot of food issues along the way and then my journey really began with yoga and then yoga brought me to food so essentially Amazing. my second book brings together that whole journey which did begin with which was to do with food but from the perspective of trying to become um healthy again and obviously healthy is not just it encapsulates so much Everything, more absolutely um it's about how you feel in your mind and actually my journey with yoga was actually feeling better about myself you know yoga actually brought me back to life at the time because I was going through a really horrible time and yoga is what sort of people say yoga saved my life yeah. and and actually it's quite true because when you first do yoga you realize how quickly it can impact how you feel um, and for me part of the reason for that was that there wasn't anything at the time that would be allow me to be, be present so when I was say for wow. example in a spinning class or I was in a massage or anything I would be I would be in my mind I wouldn't necessarily be listening to the Absolutely. instructor or in a yeah. massage you're just you're, you're kind of in your mind already and it would really be hard for me to get out of my mind so yoga you have to listen to the instructions you might be in the sunshine I was living abroad at the time and I was in the sunshine I was in beautiful surroundings and listening yeah. to the teacher you sort of especially at the beginning of yoga it doesn't necessarily come naturally so you have to listen to what the instructions are and firstly it makes you feel really good it makes your body feel good and then of course your mind, mind. but also it takes you it makes you be present in the moment listening to the instructor and for me that was really key because I was in my mind so much and my thoughts were eating me up so much that I was and I was so upset and so angry and so distraught that actually yoga was the one time where I could actually listen to the instructor and be out of my mind. Wow that's so powerful because so I was in a place like a couple of years ago where I was just deeply deeply unhappy and I tried yoga and for me I just can't get into it you know and I think that's because I'm not patient with it so you know you talk about being really present in the moment when I'm in a yoga class all I'm thinking about is oh my god her yoga pants are nice or like <laughs> oh my god should I do this every day oh what am I going to be really mindful oh what positions am I doing oh my god I'm doing this wrong like all these things yeah. are going through my head and I'm oh, not focusing that. and then I'm like oh her sports bra's nice where did she get that from let me try and figure out the brand like I'm never present and I guess it's so interesting to hear that that changed you, but how did you even get into yoga? Because I guess it's become a phenomenon now. And absolutely every gym class offers it, everyone offers it, hot yoga, pot, pod yoga, yeah. yoga on the rooftop, like it's everywhere. But what kind of made you think, okay, well, this is, this is I'm unhappy, I'm gonna kind of use this to kind of come out no, of No, I didn't use it at the time. It wasn't like I got into it because I needed to use it to get out of something, it just sort of, happened at the right time for me i was living in dubai and in fact even before that the seed for yoga and i speak about this in my book was sown many many years ago when i was traveling in india as a teenager probably maybe when i was around 18 or 20 years old um and my dad actually told me to go and spend some time with a lady who was very very old at the time she's not uh, she died a while ago called Yoga Mother like India had labelled her as Yoga Mother and she was on the front of oh, Jet wow. Airways magazine and so she lived in Jaipur and nice. in between all my travels my dad would tell me go do this go do that you know go to this Ayurvedic spa and so I'd do these random things my sister actually found this um, amazing lady her name was Daya Vyasa and her name well she was called Yoga Mom or Yoga Mother and she taught a lot of celebrities like Kate Winslet and amazing. some other people and she was she was just an amazing lady she was this short 
super short lady, really thin, but just did, at the time she was probably 80 and she did yoga every single day at seven in the morning. So I became wow. sort of, I did about 10 days or something with her and she'd teach every day at home, but also in this, um, the palace in, in Jaipur called Jay Mahal. So she'd go there and teach um, every single day and then she'd sing to her in her temple and she'd play this the sitar or anyway she would play something so i'd sit, i'd actually sit there and do her prayers with her in, in the afternoon as well so that was my first sort of yoga entry and that was before i knew anything about yoga or knew that it was a phenomenon phenomenon or knew that it was going to become it was popular um then i lost yoga and then i went back to yoga when i was living i just sort of found a group while i was living in uganda and i used to go and do yoga at someone's house with like a group of ladies and i, I just loved you. how yoga brought people yeah, together sure. that wasn't when i was going through a really hard hard time in life or anything I just like doing it then in Dubai years later I'd again lost yoga again for a while um, I was in Dubai years later and actually um, I became editor of the first of a yoga magazine out in the Middle East so I was wow. a journalist at the time and I became editor of yoga life magazine and it was through that and that was actually at the time when I was going through my difficult phase in life and I started doing more yoga I found different instructors and I started finding yoga studios and I started loving how yoga made me feel and I sort of Amazing. thought I'd found my thing I just I was started yeah. getting really addicted to it I mean I was doing I did a bit of spin at the time I did yeah. yoga I did different things but it was essentially yoga that I just really took to at the time um and my mum feels that way about yoga she's addicted to it she just says every day it makes her feel so yeah. great and it's so great that you found such a nice ritual and I think I love that in your book that you talk so much about you know having so many rituals and traditions but what I do love the most in your book and you open with this is about you know so many of us follow rituals and traditions out of fear and we often forget to question them and therefore we lose the purpose and we don't have any understanding of them and they so you see so many people within an Indian culture especially you know on a Tuesday they don't cut their hair on a Wednesday they don't wash their hair or you know like they don't cut their <laughs> toenails at night no idea. My parents have actually always been, you know, kind of, kind of on the opposite end. They don't really believe in that. So, you know, we went to my, um, speak to someone who's getting married recently and they were saying, okay, on these special days, you can't get married. And my dad was like, do you really believe in that rubbish? And their face was like, oh, I can't believe you just said that to us. Like, how can you not believe in this? Like, my parents are the kind of the people that like, you know, you, you when you um, give birth, you kind of choose from two names from a rashi. My parents were like, no, we don't like you and V. We're going to just oh, change. Really? Yeah. So they've never, ever really like instilled those within us. But yeah, I when agree. I speak to so many people, they have so many weird traditions that they just don't understand they the reasons They don't understand the behind. reasons. Yeah. And they do them because if they do them out of fear, I think. Sometimes it is out of fear that we practice these or follow, follow these things that our grandparents, our mother, our father has told us to do or that we brought up doing. Um, you know, don't wash it, not washing your hair. I can't remember which day it was, but yeah, that was one of the things that, and it was so random. Like even my mum never really understood why. And so if we did it, she didn't really care that yeah, much. But it was really just care, something yeah. that she was taught and therefore we sort of engaged with in a way. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, my, I come from a very similar family where there aren't that many things that we follow. Like my dad, you know, my dad doesn't really follow. Again, that thing that you don't get married on certain yeah. days. We didn't really have any of that. Like, yeah. so actually um, we sort of don't break those molds a little bit because there aren't, where there are reasons you follow those Absolutely. things or where your grandparents really believe, believe something, something. Yeah, you don't sure. sort of go against them. But where you really don't feel like there is any purpose or reason, it's... Yeah. I think it's about finding and understanding where these things come from because sometimes these things are rooted in for example in my book I speak about um, a pregnant you know when you get when you uh, when you're pregnant and when you give birth there's a specific diet that yes. 
your yes. you know that Indians follow that your mum might make you su- suwani paji which is the dill curry or the uh, rotlo which is um ro- which is like a roti made with um millet flour yeah or the rab which i absolutely love which again is made with millet flour but why do they use these things there yeah. is a reason like one of my friends was saying oh what you know what what's the point of this diet like i'm not going to follow any of it but actually i i i got so annoyed because have you researched that actually millet yeah. flour ajmo all these ingredients are so incredible for absolutely. breastfeeding or for absolutely. rebuilding them you know the tissues that you may have ripped or whatever has happened you know when giving birth so actually it's building you up again it's kind of giving you more milk it's giving it's giving you energy katlu for example gives you energy has all the sort of different ingredients that you need in in actually cultivating or getting that energy to um breastfeed to be a mum and do all the various things that you need to do at the time so actually there is reasons in certain things for sure but if there are reasons then a lot of that is rooted in well-being. So actually, Absolutely. a lot of it is rooted in Ayurveda. It's like the turmeric latte is like the biggest phenomenon ever. And when we were younger, my mum would put turmeric in milk or put turmeric yeah. in, in stuff and you'd be like, well, why am I having this? Yeah. But actually, like you said, when you actually research what's the benefit of this, you get to understand why it's so important. Mm. I do think there's some things, though, that, you know, we should challenge. And I love in your book, you say, you know, you should challenge them and practice rituals with purpose. You know, not just do them because everyone else is doing them. So I go to the temple every Sunday and you know years ago people would say to me number one well you're not wearing Indian clothes when you go to the temple and my grandma was so great because she always used to be like God doesn't judge you for what you're wearing he just judges you because you're there but when I was younger so many people used to be like well you're going in a jumper like don't get me wrong I'm not going to go in an off the shoulder crop top like I'm not going to be disrespectful when I go to the temple but if I want to go in a jumper or hoodie and jeans like I can go um, so that was the first thing people always used to judge. And then the second one, people would be like, well, how can you go every Sunday? Because you must be on your period one of the weeks. And I was like, well, yeah, I still go. Because back in the day, and you talk about this in your book, is that the reason people didn't leave their house or the, pe- the reason people didn't go to the temple was because they didn't have, you know, sanitary conditions or they didn't have anything to protect themselves. You know, they're meant to stay at home and rest yeah. because they didn't have anything then. But now we've got all these amazing things that we can, you know, go to the gym and like go to work and like get up and get on with our lives when we're on our periods. That, you know, why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you go to the temple and stop yourself from praying that week? Exactly. You know, you shouldn't limit yourself based on what other people think. And, you know, that's the next thing I want to talk about with you is, you know, in an Indian culture, I think we're so focused on what other people think about. So growing up, I think, you know, it was always get good grades. But part of that was for what other people would say or, you know, go to a good university because then when you go speak to your friends or your family, people will say, oh, she's clever or she's Mm. great. And... You know, I think, you know, in this Instagram world we live in at the moment, people are recognizing it more. But I feel from an Indian perspective, it's always been instilled from such a young age. Yes. It, like from, for definitely for me, I don't know about you, but from a young age, it's always been, well, what's that person going to say about you? Mm. Yeah, I agree. I do think it's also because our parents are conditioned or were conditioned to think, for example, that certain careers are for certain, for boys in certain careers. Absolutely. And actually, you know, for the Indian mentality, when girls are born, the ultimate aim is sort of to get married and therefore you sort of work towards that. Now, I wasn't born in that. My dad was very, very different. He said, you know, you can go and be a musician if you want. Or like, it was very much like that. But actually, actually things are defined by money in the end. And you sort of need to be able to, especially a guy, a boy has to be able to survive on his own two feet. That's how it's seen. And whereas a girl will always be, well, it's okay if, you know, she doesn't. Exactly, exactly. But I don't know if that's necessarily just an Indian thing. Of course, it's an Indian thing. But I think that's a cultural thing. For sure. 
maybe even something that exists across many cultures really yeah um, less so now but I think that was the conditioning that with which our parents grew up and being a doctor being a what well, lawyer later yeah. but you know doctor dentist, a dentist accountant all <laughs> yeah. those things because they were just the dumb thing there was they were the careers that actually seemed respected at the time Absolutely. whereas no one was I mean being a comedian an artist a writer those things didn't pay well so why would anyone respect those exactly. obviously that's changed over time yeah and definitely. obviously there is a place for artists and for, for art um, and people are seeing that more and more but it's still men- Indian mentality not to definitely. think of those but going back to your the period thing I completely that's again something I speak about and I think you know for example if you look at um, temples it's because like you said um, at the time there was nothing to protect yourself it was seen as unclean exactly and it was sort of unclean unclean, yeah Yeah. (laughs) so the word for actually being on your period is not you would never use the word period you would in 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 Gujarati you would use chokai and and that you whether you're clean or not that actual word which is horrible yeah but that is is the way you sort of talk about it there's no other word for it but that's we can see why that's come about definitely and I and this is the thing I definitely understand why people would say that and that's why I think it's important to have these conversations with your family and actually ask but why so for example you know there are some women I think who'd say that don't come into or some families who would say traditionally don't come into the kitchen don't cook anything when you are on your period now that's not from the perspective that you're dirty Dirty, and shouldn't actually um cook anything and so people you know people eating is it's a dirty thing to eat whatever it is it's actually because they at back in the day you were meant to rest Rest. yeah now that over time has turned into a religious thing but it never started off as a religious thing I, don't I mean, know. I would love that if we got five days off work just to rest now. I yeah, would take that. But, but there is sure a reason that. for that. I mean, you're not meant to strain yourself by going exactly. to the gym like crazy for the first few days. You're not just not meant to do that. Yeah. And some people do it and they feel okay and that's totally fine. But I think over time you realise that your body... I mean, and a lot of people speak about how actually you're meant to listen to your body and Ayurveda or a lot of um, people speak about how you're actually meant to give your body a rest at that time. Yeah. It's your time to purify, to rest, to like recharge. cleanse, to recharge, all of those things. And the first three days, you you know, it's better not to overexert exert yourself. I mean, there are times when I've been to the gym. Yeah. One thing I don't do is do yoga because it's, you know, downward dog or all those things that you're going against the force of gravity. And oh, that is that is going against the flow, mm. which is actually... Um, horrible thing to do that's why they say don't do inversions when you're on your period because it takes you the wrong way but in my eyes i mean of course even if you do a downward dog you're in an inversion position because you're going the wrong way and i've actually been sick once whilst doing that but actually you shouldn't so that's why you shouldn't really do yoga when you're right okay and it's not necessarily about (laughs) yeah it's not about exerting it well some teachers say it's fine but i personally don't so anyway yeah, I think it's interesting though because you're always worried about what other people are going to say. So, you know, when you go to Garba or you go to, which is Navratri, by the way, for you guys listening, it's an Indian dance festival. Have I described it well? Is that correct? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which has um, a religious meaning, but yeah, yeah essentially, it meaning, it's a sure. nine day dance festival. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, um, I think, before didn't used to go because they were on the period or whatever. Um, and you're always worried about what other people are going to think and I think like I was saying before especially in an Indian culture you've been brought up to always worry about what other people are thinking of you yeah and only recently I've started to practice to not always worry about that so I went to an Indian wedding reception a couple of weeks ago and I was with my friends 
and uh, one of my friends was like, can I get you a drink? Now, my family know I drink, um, everyone at the event was drinking, um, but still I was conscious about having a beer because I was like, oh, well, what other people are gonna think of me? Um, and anyway, I had a beer, and the next day I was having a debrief with my friends, you know, like as you do after a night out, like, did I do anything stupid? Was I being an idiot? <laughs> um, and one of my friends was like, you know, Shivani, someone said, that you were a bit unladylike. Uh, one of these aunties was like, well, I, I really like Shivani for this guy, but actually I understand now that maybe she's not the right person because, you know, she was holding a beer in her hand and it just doesn't really suit her. And she's just, it's, she's so unladylike. So I come home and I tell my mom and I'm like, mom, can you believe someone said this? And my mom's like, well, I agree with her. You shouldn't have a beer in your hand. It's really unladylike. And I was like, wait, hold on. Let's just break this down. Cause like you said, we should just, you know, try and challenge why we why we think in this way. And I said to my mum, do you have a problem with me drinking? And she was like, no, you should have had some champagne or you should have had a wine or you should have had a gin and tonic, but you shouldn't have been drinking a beer. And I was like, okay, so when I when we went for dinner last week and it was me, you, Akshay and dad, and I was drinking a beer, you didn't say anything, nor do you say anything when I'm at home and I'm drinking a beer. And she was like, yeah, but that's because other people aren't around. And I think in an Indian culture, you're always basing your decision based on other people. So in that moment, and that sounds really silly to think about a beer in that moment, but in that moment, you're I would be restricting myself from having a drink of my choice based on the opinion of somebody else. Yes. And ultimately, you don't, no one really cares about you apart from you. Like, no one actually cares. People are going to gossip about you either way, right? So people are going to, yeah, people will talk about you either way. Judgments will be, you know, you will still be judged about things, about your life about what you do and where you look or all of those things and it does seem a little bit more intense when you're in that situation of a society that knows each other very well absolutely um and gossip flies around yeah i think that's true of a lot of societies yeah um and i agree i think you just got to stick to your own guns and be a little bit more but be conscious about exactly being you know representing your i mean if you are conscious you don't need to be conscious but you know you know that you will be judged if you're ready for those judgments great yeah. if you're not ready for them then be conscious of that and i think i've just learned to not care you know so my family know i drink and the people i care about my family know i drink beer my friends know i drink and if someone is going to judge me for drinking a choice of drink and isn't going to then find me a suitable wife material, then that's fine. I'm very comfortable with that. <laughs> I think if, you know, when I went to India with my bar, we just went, recently went a year ago and um, we spent two weeks together. We went to um, do this religious pilgrimage and at the end of the trip, we were in Mumbai and we were in the lounge and I really wanted a drink and we were there for two weeks, but I didn't drink at that point. Now my grandma knows I drink, but I just think it would ruin her trip if at the end of it, I just was sitting there having a drink in front of her. And I think that's, and I care about how she feels. So she knows I drink, um, she's comfortable with me drinking. She's, she's obviously like, you know, you shouldn't because it's bad for you, blah, 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 blah. But I just wouldn't be disrespectful to her in that moment because we've just finished a really religious, really nice two week break together. And then to, be, to, then, to then ruin it just because I wanted a drink would just, doesn't, doesn't seem right for me. However, if I'm at a wedding reception with my friends and I want to have a beer instead of having a gin and tonic, then I'm going to have one. And if someone is going to judge me on that, then I'm like, that's good for you. But I think it took me a long place and a long time to get into that place of being like, well, I don't care what people think. Yeah, and that's, um, that does take time. And that some people don't achieve ever. Yeah. Um, obviously, the more comfortable you are in your own skin, the more comfortable you get with your own self and, and confident about how you feel um, and not about what other people think that will come over time yeah absolutely i think in terms of like an indian perspective as well like you see people having this crazy weddings now i don't know anyone who actually enjoys their wedding when they've got like 
13,000 different events and they're full, filled with like millions of people that they don't even know. But I think in an Indian culture, you're so focused on other what other people think. So if you have a small event, it's like, well, other people are gonna think we're poor. So in order to make sure that we, they don't think we're poor, we have to have this massive event. And I think you see that on Instagram now with so many people in our generation. I mean, I just get so shocked when I see people younger than me covered head to toe in Balenciaga with like their Gucci bag and their like Prada like bucket hat. And I'm like, wait, hold on. How how on earth did you get that? And Kanye West actually uploaded a post the other day and he a, twi- a tweet and he goes, our generation are more focused on looking successful than actually being successful. Yes, totally. I think it's so true. Like Because social media, whatever you put up isn't, representing anything i mean with some people it is but you know you you sometimes know what they put up is not what they're going through Absolutely. and it just looks all rosy and it creates a sense of anxiety along amongst a lot of other people who are looking at that and that's Absolutely. how this issue has been created really and so we're actually creating a world of falseness really. exactly and you know i posted something a couple of months ago now um so i was traveling this year you know I went to so like 12 or 13 different countries. I was modeling full time in the summer and then I got a job as soon as I got back from my travels. So people were like, whoa, Shwan, you really got it together. And I like was so scared to tell people that I was deeply, deeply unhappy. You know, when I was traveling, I was having a great time, but there were times where I was by myself and I just felt so low. And I felt like, oh, I wish I had somebody with me or like, I really didn't think I'd be at this point in my life. And then people would be messaging me, be like, well, you're living your best life. And I was like, yeah, I am, but I'm not. And I was and I think we need to be more vulnerable on our social media now I think there's certain people who don't share a lot of stuff and so you know that you're looking at a highlights reel for sure but I think there's certain people that post every single day and they're just posting stuff and you're just like well it's so overwhelming to look at somebody that's doing better than you someone that's prettier than you someone that's more successful than you constantly and you're constantly comparing yourself to these people and I just think if we had a world where we could post you know, times where we're not feeling so great or, you know, how we've overcome something or our failures, then people wouldn't feel so overwhelmed when they look at their social media, you know? Yeah, but some people are just not comfortable doing that. They're not going to put ugly pictures up of themselves or their worst days. Exactly. Um, Because in your worst days, you're not not sharing to do that. Yeah. But I think it's great that we're we're seeing a shift in that. Like, you know, you see the no makeup free days for like charity or, you know, you see... um, put up your five best failures on things you've learned and like things that you've you know grown from I think it's so important to focus on those things because I think if you're you can be responsible on social media for your audience right I think you should be responsible on social media for your audience and I think that when if you've got somebody that looks at your profile and thinks oh you know what you've got you've got stuff going on but you've also been through stuff and you're not perfect and we're all living this false reality that everything's perfect then it's quite like encouraging for somebody to think, okay, well, you know, I'm going through a shit time, but I can come out of it just like you did, just like you did. And often when I'm going through a really bad time, I just put on like a failures video on YouTube, like every morning. And it's like, JK Rowling, divorced, had was like broke, was like 35, didn't have anything. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I still have time, you know? I still have time to like do my thing. And so I always find solace in listening to other people's like, you know how they've overcome things and I think it's so powerful and I think you talk about that in your book so much as well about how to you know be comfortable within your own skin and practice time by yourself and you know whether that's through rituals like yoga or you know you talk about waking up in the morning and smiling you mm. know that is if, if you guys are listening and you know if you haven't tried it just please try waking up in the morning and smiling it just made such a big impact on my life yeah it does and I think it's when you're going through 
uh, normal time in life and everything's fine, when you set these little things and just tweaks, you know, like whether it's a smile or whether it's putting a playlist playlist on in the morning yeah. or whether it's doing your stretches, whatever it might be, um, instilling these small practices in the future when you're actually going through that rough time, it's those small things that uplift you, that Definitely. create that sense of even if it's slight happiness, because actually it sets the tone for the day. A smile can just, even if you're forcing yourself to do it, because you've got into the habit of doing it, when it comes to that really bad time or that bad day or the day when you're not feeling yourself in the morning and not feeling happy, you will feel a slight bit better by doing that. Um, And one of my teachers actually said recently that, um, uh, that Kriya, or practices or meditation whatever it is those things chisel you they start chiseling different and slowly but surely these rituals these practices that you instill in your life you might think they make no difference on a day-to-day basis but actually slowly they're chiseling out the negativity and chiseling the positivity and instilling just a better sense of self um a more comfortable sense of self and just a more more comfortable you and I think in our generation because we're used to everything instantly you know you want to get some food get it instantly everything is like based on instant gratification and the things with these rituals they're not going to give you instant gratification you need to work on them it's about continuously improving so that one day when you're in this place you don't need to do this giant massive thing to you know snap you out of it you don't need to go to India and like sit in a yoga retreat and then get yourself out of this mess you can just maybe wake up in the morning and meditate and get yourself out of that mess Mm. you know and I think it's about continuously doing small things every day like you said embedding whichever rituals are best for you so you know yoga works really well for you but yoga doesn't work that well for me but you know listening to religious music and I guess breathing is that meditation I don't know I speak a lot about breath work and that's really helped me and actually it's what yoga taught me initially was breath work you know the ujjayi breath and that was just the basic thing then I went into and now I do a lot more kundalini yoga um, which is all about breath work Mm. and actually I speak about breath work in my book a lot and the pranayama exercises which firstly help with digestion secondly really um, once you start figuring out the power of the breath and start understanding how it can help you it calms anxiety Mm. it makes you feel just a whole lot better you know if you're in a situation where you are getting really angry Mm. and you really can't like display your anger and you just don't know what to do with it if you take deep breaths it calms that sense of anger down you feel a little bit better and over time it's the power of the breath can really just change how you think about things so it it comes down to breath all of this stuff even yoga it's all about the breath Mm. um breathing wealth during yoga and taking those deep breaths is essential to your practice and eventually the whole purpose of yoga is to be able to meditate and what is meditation is focusing on birth well it's focusing on the mind and trying to eliminate all those thoughts and listening to your thoughts and letting them sort of float away but essentially it's you can one of the one of the yoga meditation practices people speak about is just listening to your own breath slowing it down maybe even counting it so the focus goes from thoughts to breath more so you're counting the breath you're listening to your breath you're feeling your breath and actually everything comes back to the breath definitely and i think it's so important to adopt your own rituals and adapt them in your own way so you know people say meditation should be in silence and you should sit you know with your legs crossed but you know i sometimes just sit up on my bed and listen to religious music and that's how i meditate so i don't think there's these strict rules on how you should and shouldn't do stuff. No, of course and i think that's what i love most about your book 
is that you talk about you know creating your own practices and creating the things that you love and your own little playlist yeah. yeah your playlist is so great no but I your own playlist that. of ritual yeah no but i do love that playlist yeah, yeah oh, i actually thanks. listened to a song um this morning just before i came so thanks for coming it's been so great to talk to you and if you guys haven't um got progeny you can download it now no you can grab it on amazon at the moment you can actually you? listen to it as well oh, i've like, recorded the whole thing as well what so, why did yeah, i audio read the book? book i could have listened to it on audible um, it was a very weird experience recording the whole thing <laughs> was it <laughs> was yeah because you're listening to your words for the first time after you've written them properly because you haven't ever read the book properly when you're yeah, in the true. studio recording the whole thing you're like oh my god like you're reading wow. these paragraphs out loud and you're it's like your life and your thoughts and your yeah, research all weird. together it's quite bizarre amazing well if you guys haven't got it you can download it on Amazon you can listen to it online and you should also check out Chai by Mira in Soho because she has the best chai ever so thank and you, you can grab a copy of your book there so thank you so much for listening thanks and thank you Hi everyone and thanks so much for tuning in to my first episode. I would love to hear your feedback so please email a millennialmind at hotmail.com with any questions about today's episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and share this if you really enjoyed it. I look forward to hearing from you and I'll catch you on the next podcast in two weeks where we will be discussing the truth about modelling.